0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Merry Christmas, and welcome to my uh, special unplanned, (laughs) unscheduled Christmas live stream. Um, I know I'm a little bit early. It's not quite Christmas yet, but I wanted to to get this out and share it with you guys, and uh, I was just hoping it would be a blessing to you. Um, We're going to go into the theology uh, the doctrine, the meaning, and the poetry behind the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This, to me, is a beautiful Christmas song. I love this Christmas song. And this is um, something i was been looking forward to doing. And it will be my last stream uh, for this year. At least that's my agenda, is that not until January uh, will I be putting out another video. And so I wanted to get this out, and then I have a bunch of stuff to do, uh, including taking a couple days off with my wife, which will be really nice. Um, but I have a lot of work ahead of me. Um, So anyway, I want to jump right into it. This song is uh, one of the songs I love hearing musically. It's beautiful. It's got like this eerie kind of um, hopefulness to it. It's just got this real, you know, some some songs have that sort of multi-layered emotional quality, and that's kind of this song right here. But it has a lot of depth to it, theologically as well. So we're going to look at each of the verses and the refrain, and we're going to look at scripture and how these things are parallel with the Bible. You might be surprised at how much theology is embedded into a song, uh, into this song. And maybe songwriters, if you're a songwriter, or worship leader, you might take this as like inspiration for you to put more scripture and, and truth of Christ into your worship songs. I think it's a beautiful idea. So um, I recorded earlier today, um, I I recorded briefly, like, uh, just just a little noodly on my guitar thing, just to remind you what the song sounds like. So here is, just to put it in your head, here's the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, just a brief, like, one-minute clip of it. So that's the song itself, and um, I love this song, and I'm looking forward to getting in, getting into it with you. Um, here's what you need to know going into it. Um, it is written from the perspective, kind of, it's a, almost like a double perspective song. Um, it's written from the perspective of like, as if you were in the first century, and you're awaiting the Messiah, and you're were, you were waiting for the advent, the appearance of Christ, the arrival of Jesus Christ. I can almost imagine... Um, uh, uh, the the actual like saints in the New Testament times like who who are anticipating the Messiah and they're thinking is this him is this is this the Messiah is that him you know them singing this kind of song because it it, it incorporates the first and second coming imagery of Jesus uh, in the song itself and it's pretty neat the way that it's written like that um it is uh, is generally about our need and our longing for Jesus. As God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and our need for not only salvation, but for his ultimate deliverance of all, uh, all of us, you know, into um, into glory, into goodness, into basically the final kingdom of God that Jesus will establish in the future. So it's both the first and second coming are there. According to um, org, it says that the text for O Come, O Come, Emmanuel comes from a seven-verse poem that dates back to the 8th century. Think about this. This song that you may, maybe you hear every year. This song goes back a long time, like longer than your grandma. <laughs> this eighth century, this is a really old song. It was not originally written in English, but we have our translations because of that. You may see variations in the different translations, plus, really old songs they tend to uh, appear differently in different uh, hymns in different denominations, they, they alter words slightly. So you know, they, I may or may not have the lyrics that you're used to here. Um, so it's a seven verse poem. It was used as in a call and response fashion uh, originally uh, during like an evening service time. And the original text here's something you'd never find out in English. The original text creates the reverse acrostic going up the lines of the text, eros, or arrow cross, arrow cross, which means, I shall be with you tomorrow. So not only the lyrics are neat, but the actual text itself creates a poem within a poem. I shall be with you tomorrow, the anticipation of the uh, of the coming of Christ uh, yet again. So each of these verses, these seven verses, focuses on a title of Christ. It's a very It's a very structured, organized song, right? Each verse, a different title. Or uh, name of Jesus Christ, and then the um, the the refrain comes in that repeated phrase that we that we have comes in, and each time it's supposed to get stronger. I'll explain that in just a minute how refrains actually work. If you didn't know this in older songs, and it's it's also good. This is great if you're a songwriter. You, this is the kind of stuff you want to study and be inspired by. Okay, so we get to verse one. Verse 1 is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, uh, different spellings on this word, of course, but in ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. And by the way, um, unlike my normal live streams, don't put comments or don't put questions. You can put comments, comment all you like. Hi, guys. Uh, But don't put your questions there. Uh, I can't read them while I'm delivering my content, of course. Uh, But AJ's, I'm not asking him to collect the questions. If I have time, I'll just do an impromptu Q&A at the end of this. If not, then then so be it. I don't want you to have those questions hanging in the air, thinking I'm going to answer them when I don't know if I'll be able to. So that first verse, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel... Um, that word Emmanuel, in case you didn't know, it means God with us. The word actually means that, and that's how the Bible uses the term God with us. It refers to Christ at his coming. He is God with us because of, well, the incarnation, Jesus is God with us. He's actually God, you know, taking on human form. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But there's more to it than that. This is a, a, like a multi-layered idea. So Isaiah 7:14. we're going to be doing some Bible today. Isaiah 7:14 talks about this passage, uh, in this passage, uh, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that means, of course, God with us. Now there's a whole nother discussion on understanding Isaiah 7:14 and how it's used in the New Testament and all that, but clearly locked in in the scriptures is this idea that Christ is the Emmanuel. This is what Matthew tells us about him, this is what I, Isaiah 7, and then also 8 and 9 refer to him as. And so... um. It's not here, Jesus being God with us is not just in a a figurative sense or in a symbolic sense. Rather, Jesus is God with us in a very literal and real sense, God actually coming with us. And this is unique because in the Garden of Eden, the original failure, sin failure of mankind is broken fellowship with God. And so Christ comes and he's God with us, not only as he walks the earth. But he's restoring man's relationship with god he's he's making it so God can be with us right like that was the purpose of Christ's coming, just like it was the purpose of the of the tabernacle in ancient Israel. God could be with his people, although there were these layers of separation yet Jesus he can be with us and then it becomes permanent of course, at his second coming he's he he creates this uh, I should say, in the ultimate, final restoration of all things, at the end of Revelation, we have this uh, this time where God is dwelling with His people, and God is with us in the fullest sense, in the deepest possible relationship, in the most loving um, heavenly experience you can possibly imagine. And so He reunites man and God. That that's this baby, this little infant. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Not only being with us, but establishing a new relationship a restored and fixed relationship with God through his sacrifice. So that's verse one already is deep in theology when we're, what, five words in. you know, Oh, come Emmanuel. Um, and ransom, it says ransom captive Israel. So the idea of a ransom here, uh, we, we get that throughout scripture. Jesus is clearly the ransom for our sins. And it says here in um, Matthew 20, uh, verse 28, Jesus himself says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Christ, he's, he's ransomed for us. That concept is in this verse. We have uh, lots of scriptures, actually, I could quote to you on this. I'll give you some more. Ma- uh, Mark ten forty-five. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, no, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then, of course, uh, I'll give you one more. 1 Timothy 2. It says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So Christ is the ransom. Now, I'm surprised at how many don't get this about Jesus, that Christmas time comes, we're singing these songs, and they don't even understand that Jesus didn't just come to show you a loving way to live. He came to be the ransom for your sins. That is the broken part of of, of, in, of what's inside of you that would rebel against God. That that you you do the things, you know, we're, we're still like those little kids. You do something wrong and your parents go, why did you do that? And you go, I don't know. Because you don't even know. You just wanted wrong things. And there's, there's a broken sinfulness of mankind and Christ comes to fix us, to restore us to God, to pay for our sin. Um, and I'm surprised how many don't understand this beautiful truth. Um, so, the 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 verse the first verse, setting up the song, O oh come, O oh come, it's, it's a beckoning, a calling. God God with us, well, then come and be with us. Now, from the perspective of the first coming, you you could call, they're waiting upon Messiah. And now, as we're waiting for Christ to return, we can still sing the song. So it has that kind of parallel uh, meaning, that parallel depth. Specifically, it's said to ransom Israel. And, and this is where I think your understanding of the song will shift. You either take Israel to mean just the Jewish people or um in, in which case you're probably singing it like sort of historically, you're singing the song historically about how Christ would come and he did come and he bought the he bought his people, or you could say, in my view, Israel um as as a, as as us is grafted into Israel, we're not replacing Israel, but we're grafted in, and so you know the whole world is calling out and saying because as as Christ comes and ransoms Israel, he's ransoming all those who we also plugs into the same body of, of Christ. So, um, Israel needs, needs, you know, saving for lots of different reasons. Um, uh, that are, that are not only salvation, sin related, but also political issues and oppression and poverty and hardships and difficulties and all that sort of thing. And so we have the scripture that, that really kind of gives the Messiah as fixing all of those problems, not just one of those problems, but all of them. This song really does get into all those issues. Um, so, let's see. I'll, I'll give you one example here. Let's go back to the Bible. So, Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives this really interesting reading of Scripture. When Jesus shows up, he um, he goes into the town of uh, Nazareth, where he grew up, and he opens in a synagogue, opens a scroll, and he has a, a particular peculiar reading of Scripture that he does for them. So, Luke four sixteen, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here's what he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this seems to speak in sweeping terms about the type of of deliverance he's bringing to his people. Of course, we know Jesus later on, he talks about how the blindness that he's healing is not only physical, but he's here to heal their spiritual blindness, how he talks to the scribes and Pharisees about their spiritual blindness. Um, and then he, uh, in verse uh, 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What like this bold statement, like I've come to ransom, I've come to take care of captive Israel in bondage in two senses, um, a, a, a nation that's not sovereign, a nation that is being controlled at that time by the Romans, or even nowadays, do not not experiencing their full sovereignty, um, and also in the sense of the bondage to sin, which is the thing that leads to all the other bondages, right? Sin is the thing that leads to the broken governments and the damaged relationships and the and all the hurts and loneliness and hardships. So, okay, I won't, I don't know if I'll spend too long on each verse, but verse one sets up the whole song, right? The whole song that there, he's, uh, Israel here mourns in lonely exile. They're alone. And think of the poetry here. We're lonely, Lord. We're alone and in exile. But when you come and you are with us, we will be lonely no more because God is with us. So there's that poetry in the first verse that's there. And so when the son of God appears, that's when that loneliness ends, the loneliness of Israel, the loneliness of our own hearts as well. Pretty neat stuff. Um, okay. So then there's the refrain. Now I'm not calling it a chorus here. You might call it a chorus, modern music. We call things choruses, usually this kind of thing, but I'm going to call it a refrain because it has a particular function in the song that you may or may not be aware of, at least as I understand it. I'm sure other, others would understand it better than me, but here's my best go at it. And the refrain says, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Now, the way we sing the song, it it sounds like we're saying Emmanuel's rejoicing, the way that we phrase it, but we're actually saying everyone rejoice, right? Or Israel rejoice because Emmanuel is coming to you. Um, So who's rejoicing again? Israel's rejoicing, but I rejoice with Israel because I'm grafted in and experiencing the promises that are given to them as well. Um, Who's the one coming? God is the one coming. Um, This is so powerful. Uh, God with us. Don't forget this. This is... Jesus is not here just as a good teacher. He's not just here as a nice, as a nice man doing, doing nice things for nice people to make the world a better place. No, he, he is God with us, restoring the, the brokenness of creation and the core issues in the lives of people uh, and bringing eternal life to those who are under the bondage of death. And so, yes. Now, now, here's how refrains work in songs, old school songs like this. The refrain, you sing it and it's really simple. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, o Israel. But then the next verse creates a new idea so that when you go back to the refrain, it feels fresh and it feels new and you have like a new dimension to it. Then you sing the next verse and you come back to the refrain and it has more depth and more dimensionality to it, right? And every time you come back to this refrain, it's deeper and it's more powerful and meaningful. It's not empty repetition, right? Um, so just keep this in mind as we go. Each verse strengthens the refrain. Verse 2 of the song, O Come. It says, O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily, to us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. And then you sing the refrain again. The title here, each verse has a different title for Christ, and the title here is wisdom from on high. Now, I think this has kind of like a threefold meaning. And uh, one of the, the meanings we're going to get is just the idea that he's from on high, the one, maybe it's, I should say it's a fourfold meaning, right? So the, the wisdom from on high, he's from on high, as in uh, he comes from God. Jesus wasn't just born. He was preexistent. He's from God. He came from God, he says, and he goes back to God. And so that's, um, that's a, a unique uh, thing that Jesus claimed that the Jews knew was a claim for divinity when he, when he said such things which is why they usually try to kill him when he said stuff like that. Um, so Proverbs 3.13 gives us another side of that same idea. And it says about wisdom, how he's wisdom from on high. Uh, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Now, this in Proverbs, wisdom is is a female character here, which is entirely appropriate in uh, for lots of reasons, but also because in Hebrew, it, the word itself is, is feminine, wisdom. Um, but, A lot of people see in Proverbs 3, this description of wisdom as being a description kind of like Jesus. Now, some would say it really is Jesus, like it's, but the thing is, guys, this is, this is a poetic passage describing wisdom as a desirable thing. I think it's a typological, you know, explanation of not, not a Christophany because there's no appearance of anything here, uh, but rather it's typology. Typology. So wisdom is being given as sort of a uh, representative of of something Christ is like, so that Jesus has more to fulfill when he shows up, because all of the scripture speaks of the Messiah. So Proverbs 3.13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Consider how this relates to Jesus. For the gain of from her is, is is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Jesus talked about not laboring for that which perishes, but for eternal life. He talked about how you could gain the whole world and lose your soul. And what profit is that to you? He talked about uh, the, the benefit of having him. And so uh, it goes on. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, maybe your desires, you desire other things other than Jesus. Well, You're deluded if you think that those things compare to him. (laughs) Then it's not that you view those other things too highly. You probably just view Jesus too lowly. Um, But nothing you desire can compare. And so verse 16, long life is in her right hand and in her left uh, hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. I mean, this really, you could see the parallels to Christ. Um, long life, he gives us eternal life. Rich is honor. Um, indeed, he says, uh, you know, give up all that you have, follow him, and you will have great treasures in heaven. He tells us to store up treasures in heaven and where they're eternal. They do not fade. They do not, they're not destroyed by moth or rust and thieves don't break in and steal. So there's that parallel. Verse 17, uh, her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths, all her paths are peace. Jesus said, he talked about his loneliness and his humility and how he calls us to live in a life emulating his ways of pleasantness and peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, to those who hold her fast, Uh, those who hold her fast are called blessed. She's a tree of life. There's, there's, there's this amazing, uh, I think, parallel to Jesus here because we have a tree in the garden where they eat of it and then they die, right? We have then the tree of life that they're barred, that they're not able to access. The other two trees in the garden that were unique and they were not able to access the tree of life. Well, Christ, he goes and he dies on a tree, the, the cursed tree. He takes on the death. He goes to a tree and dies that he might give us the tree of life, which appears then in Revelation in the future time that, that we have this tree of life we're now partaking of or we're experiencing eternal life. So Jesus, in that sense, uh, relates to verse 18. So there's, there's some pretty cool stuff, right? I mean, verse two, it's like wisdom from on high uh, who ordered all things mightily. Now, this is a different aspect. He ordered all things mightily. This is, this is about uh, how Christ is the one who is, is given credit for creation in a particular way. So as we go through the scriptures, Jesus is not, it doesn't just say Jesus created all things. It's actually more specific than that. If you haven't noticed, many of you have, this is just review for you and you're just hopefully enjoying how it relates to this Christmas song that by God's wonderful grace, it gets played on secular radio stations and people get to hear this. That's cool to me. Um, so John 1.1, 1, 1, look at how he ordered all things or created, he organized things mightily. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's Jesus here we're talking about, pre-incarnate, before he was in the, in the, in the flesh, in the physical body of a man. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So if it, if it was made, if it's a created thing, it was made through the word, which is Jesus. So he ordered all things mightily. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 1 also talks about the same idea. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, catch this part, through whom also he created the world. Now, so Hebrews 1, like John 1, is going to show, lift up Jesus as having the identity of being deity, of being God, but also not being the same as the father. And so in the, the unique way they're different in the way creation takes place is the father's creating all things and the son is the one through whom all things are being created. Really interesting. And he himself is an uncreated being, of course. Uh, Colossians 1.15 He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the topic here. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Right? And he's before all things and in him, all things hold together. So Jesus has given credit for, for being the one who ordered all things mightily—that's that's the idea there. So there's another aspect. So he's wisdom from Proverbs. He's he's uh, wisdom because it's how God created all things, how God established the existence of all things is is through wisdom according to Proverbs, but also through Christ according to the New Testament. And so um, then he's wisdom in another sense, and that's in uh, Colossians two three. Speaking of Jesus, it says, in Jesus are all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, what does that mean? Like that, that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's poetry. But what does it mean? Well, I think its meaning is also communicated in Romans 11.32. Okay, in Romans, he gives out the whole gospel, detailed explanation of the gospel of Christ using... It's, Romans is awesome. I <laughs> love Romans. Um, anyway, then he kind of is concluding his description of the gospel. And here, Romans eleven thirty two, he describes it all. He says, yeah, so God has consigned all to disobedience. Every man has rebelled against God, right? That he may have mercy on all. That was the plan. You know, when you see the wickedness of man, you can see that, that God was leading this into a place where he might have mercy upon all. That's the idea. And then, and then he celebrates. Paul celebrates God's wonderful wisdom in that he has a gospel that is reaching all people, that is available to all people in the name of Christ. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And verse 33, he celebrates, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how ins- inscrutable his ways. So th- the idea here is he's celebrating how God had this sort of simple and complex plan for Christ to be the Redeemer, to re- reunite man and God, that all who had rebelled could also be restored through Christ. So, so Jesus is the wisdom of God in that it is the ultimate plan of God for salvation. He's the wisdom of God in that he's the one through whom all things were created and God made the universe wisely, right? Beautifully and thoughtfully and creatively. And, um, and he's also has wisdom. That would be like the fourth way, I guess this wisdom from on high thing would connect. Um, and yes, this is what I like to think about when I'm singing worship songs. <laughs> and and uh, this is why I maybe don't get as bored with them as some people do. Because I'm thinking about the theology behind the song and it, it is glorious. So the, the fourth way was just that Christ has wisdom. He's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He, he had wisdom. Um, so of course, he is, uh, he is all those things. So then there's the request in verse 2. And it says, to us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its, way, in its ways to go. To us, the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. So this is just a a yielding. I yield my life to Christ. Jesus, I recognize you are the wisdom of God. And I say, guide my life. Show me the path. Show me how I might live this life. Show me how I will not only find life, but how life is to be done properly. I want to learn to live like Christ. And Christians, we need to have this at the forefront of our minds that our... um, our, our instructions for living are, are seen in not only the words of Christ, but in the life of Christ. And that that model of love and grace and patience and boldness and truthfulness um, and holiness, that that's all in Christ. And, and we're called to live like him. It's just been on my heart recently that, uh, that um, for myself anyways, I just want to be reminded of the kind of love that God calls me to actually live. And, and don't hear me like a pastor preaching at you. Like, how about you hear me like I'm just a Christian? who looks at Jesus and says, I really want to learn to love better and be more like him. And I encourage you to come with me on that reminder. Um, verse three. Oh, so by the way, then you go back to the refrain. So now when you're singing the refrain again and you go, oh, come Emmanuel, right? Now you, you're thinking about how he's the wisdom of God and how he teaches us the path of, of, of life and knowledge and, and how, to, how to live. So verse three. Oh, come, oh, come, great Lord of might. That's the next title, Lord of might who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. So this is now like a history lesson in a sense. He's the Lord Almighty. That's who he is in this particular verse. And this, I mean, you know, you might ask, like, is there scripture where Jesus claims to be the Lord of might in some sense? Well, yeah. So here we are in Revelation 1.18. Um, Jesus refers to himself as the first and the last, the living one. He says, uh, um, a one i I'm like, I'm like, that's not the verse I'm looking for. It's a good verse. Don't get me wrong. Okay. So, um, I am the alpha and the alpha and the omega says the Lord who was and who is and who was, who is, who is, and who was, and who is to come the almighty. Um, now the, these titles ultimately are, are coming from Christ. I'm the alpha and the omega who is, and who was, and who is to come the almighty Christ is that alpha and that omega. So It's an exalted title, this idea of verse 2, you know, O come, great Lord of might, it should humble us. We realize he has been the humble one, but we should be humbled in his presence because he is almighty God. I should be bowing before him. Jesus is being given credit in this verse, verse 2, as the lawgiver, or verse 3, as the lawgiver. The tribes on Sinai's height, that would be the mountain where God gave the law to the people, and he's, he's being given credit for that. Like you're the lawgiver in cloud and majesty and awe that it was him in the cloud, so to speak. And I actually have a, a, um, Bible study on, uh, that you might be interested in on the angel of the Lord. And so you just Google my name and the angel of the Lord, and it should pop right up where I go through old Testament passages that are actual Christophanies where, where Jesus actually shows up. And the burning bush is actually one of them, um, believe it or not. And I'm not making stuff up. We just look at the text and we do it verse by verse thoughtfully. Um, so then, yeah. Okay. It says, um, um, that to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times to give the law. This this idea here to me is interesting because Jesus, when he shows up, he says, I've come to fulfill the law. So not only is he the, the deliverer of the law, the provider of the law to the people, but he comes to accomplish it as well. Accomplish it by being perfectly obedient, but also fulfilling the pictures, the types, the prophecies, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so verse 4. Oh, and there, there is also a parallel here. Verse 3, how it talks about how in the past, God was with them in the cloud. Yet Jesus, when he comes, he'll, he'll be with us in a clear sense. No, not obscured at all. So when Emmanuel comes, he comes and it's, it's clear who he is. Verse 4, O come, O branch of Jesse's stem unto your own and rescue them from depths of hell your people save and give them victory o'er the grave." <laughs> Over to the, the grave. That's, that's when you you're, you have too many syllables. So you just apostrophe. Um, okay, so the branch of Jesse's stem. This, um, Jesse in the scriptures, you may not remember him, or maybe you do. A lot of you, I'm sure, do. But Jesse is the father of King David. So Jesse is the one from that David comes from. He was the youngest son of Jesse. And then David was the king of Israel who becomes like the messianic type of the, the, the king that's a type for the Messiah. And the, the future Messiah is called the son of David. So there's this connection between Jesus and David. And so um, uh, when it says branch of Jesse, perhaps it's speaking of the infancy of Christ. Uh, like we're, we're, we talk about David's dad here. But also we have Isaiah 11 and verse 1 and 2 that I think relate to this as well. So Isaiah 11, 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Um, now, that some are, are I, I realize that some of the people who view me are, are going to be like, Mike, you have to prove that that passage is about Jesus. Well, it is about Jesus, but proving it's not what I'm doing today. <laughs> so in some future time, maybe. Uh, but for now... This is this is the theology that I understand about Christ, right? This is Isaiah eleven is about Jesus. He is the uh, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the branch from his roots. So he's one who, you know, when trees send out their roots, they they actually one ways that one way that trees uh, reproduce is they certain trees they'll actually shoot a sapling up from the roots rather than a seed that falls off the tree. And so the image here about a sapling coming up from the roots, a branch from his roots, shall bear fruit is interesting because it speaks about the old or agedness of Christ, being the one who's who uh, who's the ancient of days, but also the newness of just being a shoot. So here's just a shoot, like it's brand new, but its roots go back much deeper. I feel like that's an interesting picture of Jesus there. Um, so the idea here uh, in Isaiah 11 is Israel's brought really low, and then this future Messiah comes and he brings. Restoration to the people of Israel, they can rejoice in him. And then it says, uh, in verse three, um, um oops, verse four. I keep getting my verses mixed up. Um, from the depths of hell your people save, and give them victory or the grave. And what a powerful statement. From the depths of hell. Um, this could be reference to, you know, like Sheol, like Abraham's bosom. We read about the 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 uh the story, perhaps it's really a story, not a parable, of of Jesus speaking about Lazarus and the rich man. Um and then it could also be speaking about that future destination, that future like lake of fire. We're being rescued from it. Not necessarily that we're there as we speak right now, but I'm being rescued from that fate. And so um victory over the grave. Grave the death death is the final you know enemy that is slain by Christ and indeed we get victory over it. And the older I get, to be honest, the older I get, the more the reality of death sets in. Um, as I see loved ones who are getting older, who I care about, and I've been at the bedside, especially as a pastor, but also just as a, as a cousin, uh, as a friend, um, you know, as a family member, I've been at the bedside of people who are, their bodies are wasting away. And I look at it and I go, oh, the worst thing in life is death. And Christ gives us the victory. Let's not miss the power of that. As you feel the weight of it, you hopefully get more serious about your life and more serious about Jesus Christ, who saves us from death, even eternally. And everything else is kind of small beans after you have this organized and straightened out in your life. So then you go back to the refrain and you sing it again, you know, rejoice, rejoice, right? This this one who's coming, he saves us from death. And so I'm seeing the, the refrain now with that in my mind. And then in verse um, 5, O come, O key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. O come, O key of David, come. So the, the next phrase is key of David. Jesus is seen as the key of David. And I'll, I'll take this moment to uh, to tell you, hey, if you haven't yet subscribed, you may consider subscribing and uh, you know, uh, clicking the little bell icon so you can get notifications when I make videos. I always forget to say that. Um, all right. So key of David, what is the key of David? Um, now this is, this is, this is actually a bit of poetic license being taken by the song, by the writer of the song. Jesus isn't literally the key of David. Rather, he has the key of David. That's, that's the idea biblically. So let's, let's look at this in the scripture. Um, here we go to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. Um, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall shut and none shall, uh, he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Now, this is actually uh, not specifically about Jesus. Let me, let me clarify in case that bothers you a little bit. It is about Jesus ultimately, but not, not in this verse. Actually, it's talking about a guy named Eliakim and he's the son of Hilkiah. And he is going to be this guy that's going to have the key of the house of David, the authority that, 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 that comes with that house of David. God's like, I'll let Eliakim have it. But it also becomes this picture of what the ultimate Messiah will do. He will ultimately carry the final key of the house of David. And, and, and unlike Eliakim, he can open and shut things that Eliakim isn't going to be able to. And let me come to that in just a second. Um, what's interesting here is though, the phrase on his shoulder, uh, on his shoulder is resting the key of the house of David. This is actually, um, this is, this is a custom they would have according to the commentary critical and explanatory on the whole Bible. This is, they would tie with like a handkerchief or some cloth. They would tie a key onto their shoulder and then carry it there. And the key would not only function as a key that opens and closes things, but it was a symbol of authority so that that person, when they spoke, because they had that key, you knew that you had to listen to them and they could tell you, open that, close that, do this, don't do that. And you had to pay attention and listen. So that was, so the keys are about authority, about authority to proclaim things. It's not about just what the key can physically open. It's about what it represents. And so we have um, Isaiah 9, 6. Now let's get closer to bringing this back to Jesus specifically. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, right? You know this verse. And the government shall be what? Upon his shoulder. That's about the key of David thing, right? The government's on his shoulder, just one shoulder, right? Because it's that authority. There, so the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But his the government that's on his shoulder, it's, it's greater than that which is on Eliakim or anybody else because verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And yet it'll be on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So what key? It's going to be the key of David. Um, then we get Jesus in Revelation 3, 7 who says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy one, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens. So this is using Isaiah 22, Isaiah nine and seeing its fulfillment in Christ as the final authoritative holder of the, of of the authority, you know, and he's like, I will declare these things. And so then Jesus though, just, just, Side note, I think it's interesting. In the letter to Philadelphia, Philadelphia is not in Israel, right? It, David's authority was in Israel. It was only in Israel, right? But Jesus's authority is much greater. And so uh, David could open and close things, so to speak, in Israel. But in the letter to Philadelphia, we have a letter being written to a group of people far outside of the borders of Israel in Asia, uh, Asia, Asia minor, uh, like modern day Turkey. And, um, and he, he tells them, I have, verse eight, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And so he's telling them, I have the keys of David, yet my keys reach far beyond the borders of Israel, because of course, Christ is the, is the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of all creation. Um, so interesting side note that I think is pretty cool. Um, so now with that key of David thing in mind, let's go back to that verse and read the rest of it. It says, uh, "O come, O key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. He can open things no one else can open. He can shut things no one can shut. And what are we saying? Lord, open heaven to us and close death to us, right? Because if you close death to us, we cannot die. If you open to heaven to us, no one can stop us from getting in. And so it's it's the it's just recognizing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Good songwriting, isn't it? I think it's pretty good stuff, man. I love this song. So then you go back to the refrain, and now you're like, "Oh, come, Emmanuel! Yeah, He who has the authority to rule and um, and open heaven and close death to us—beautiful uh, stuff." All right, verse six. Just two verses left. Verse six, and it says here, "O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light." So here he's called a bright and morning star. This is from, do you know it? From Revelation, well, that's, that's where I'm going to go. Revelation 22, 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So he, here he's claiming that Isaiah 11 passage about being the root and and branch of David, the, the root and descendant of David. He And he He almost says it like it's two different things, like like I was talking about the tension of this root that goes back in time before David, yet this shoot that comes after him. So he's Jesus is both. Um, Who is it? The Supertones back in the day had a song that said, "Jesse came from Jesus, or Jesus came from Jesse, but Jesse came from Jesus." (laughs) I like that. Um, But then he also makes that claim about being the bright and morning star, the bright and morning star. Um, So he is this. He is the light. He's the light of the world. He's also the one who's who's bringing dawn to us. You know, he's bringing light, heat, life, truth, clarity, all that stuff. But then also in Revelation 2.8, 2.28, there's another, you know, mention of this. Jesus says to the church, um, which church is this? This is the church in Thyatira. And he says to them, and I will give him the morning star to the one who overcomes. To the one who overcomes, he says, I will give him the morning star and this is something that you often don't notice when you're reading the letters to the churches. Some of the things Jesus says he'll give them are descriptions of Jesus. So when Jesus says, if you overcome, you hang in there, you trust in me, you follow me, you stay faithful to Christ in your life, what will you get? The morning star. What's the morning star? Jesus. You will get him because he is God with us and you will, you will have him. Pretty powerful stuff. Um, but also, there's some Old Testament passages that talk about this as well. There's bright and morning star. Numbers twenty four seventeen. 17, um, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall, ar- shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. So this star of Jacob, this scepter who comes up out of Israel, ultimately, finally is going to be Christ. Um, then there's maybe one more parallel that we see there, and it's in Matthew 2, 2. And they said, the magi, they say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That star may well have been a representation of who Christ is. To say, hey, the light of the world has dawned. It has begun. You know, Emmanuel has come to be with us. Um, But this also relates not only to his first coming at the birth of Christ, but also to his second coming, 2 Peter 1.19. It says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So there's that term again, the morning star, until the day Jesus returns is the idea here. So we have at the first and second coming, this concept of the morning star. Again, I feel like Ocum Emanuel has, it does what a lot of the Old Testament prophets do. They take the first and second coming and they speak of them in one fluid motion. And so, uh, really this song kind of takes after old Testament, um, language when it does that. All right. The final last verse, verse seven. And, um, thanks you guys for joining with me today. Again, this has been, uh, something I just, as a bonus, this is a bonus stream, my last, uh, video planned for, uh, for this year. And then i um, Got a bunch more, of course, planned for next year. I plan on continuing doing what I've been doing with the online ministry, tackling tough issues, trying to teach the Bible clearly, defend the truth of Christianity, and uh, answer, hopefully, the challenges that, that, uh, that Christians are facing um, and people are facing as they come out of cults or false religions or perhaps just skepticism and atheism, and they come to Christ and they need some help. All right, verse 7, it says, O come, O king of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. So verse 7 is the last verse and what often happens with old songs is the final verse and this is new songs as well this happens. The final verse is like a culmination idea, a big idea that sort of climaxes the 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 concepts of the of the song. And so here we're like Jesus, he's not just the king of Israel, he's the king of what nations plural. So the song isn't just about Israel, right? It's about, he's the king of nations. Jesus is the king of kings, the king of all. So we're bidding him to come and what bind in one the hearts of all mankind. So this is, this is now, I feel this, this like strongly second, second coming and the and the things that Jesus is doing as he enters into people's lives, even right now today, when Jesus comes into your life and he binds your hearts together, brings love into your heart. Um, as the Messiah, he'd be, of course, not just the king of the Jews, but the king of all people. We can, we can read about this like in Psalm two. I'll just give you one example. Um, It it speaks about uh, the nations raging against God's chosen one. Uh, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, "As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill." So he's setting his king upon Zion. He's the king of the Jews, right? Zion is Jerusalem. Verse seven: I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, "You are my son today; I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations plural your your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession." So this this coming king is going to have the whole world, have all things. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and, or and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. That is an act of of, of, of loving obedience. Kiss the sun. obeisance to him, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is for his wrath is kindled quickly kindled. Uh, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So, um, that uh, oh, I didn't put it up on the screen, but I read it to you. Psalm two. Psalm 2. I'll put it on the screen. There it was. Okay. Um, so you can just pause it. Um, so the nature of this kingdom though is what is what verse 7 is actually focusing on, right? There is a time where Christ comes to judge, but he's coming to judge to clear out the chaff, so to speak. The nature of those in his kingdom is that of just love and embracing and unity and mankind being brought into one, that we might be one flock with one shepherd. So bid All our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace, peace between man and man. That's the idea of the final verse here. Um, In John 17, this is like a major prayer of Jesus, is that we would be one. And we do good to remember this as you're getting ready to go see your families, as you're getting ready to to have interaction with people in in a place where you can't run away because Christmas isn't over yet, you know? (laughs) I'm just joking, but, but really though, the love that God calls us to have for each other, it's just so heavy on my heart recently. Um, John seventeen twenty, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is literally praying for you in this passage, that they may all be one, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one, may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that our oneness will create evangelism in the lives of the world. When they see the love we have for each other, not just for them, but for each other. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be come perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you, do you see the, the oneness and the unity and the love that God's calling us to? This is not a theological point. Um, Well, in a sense it is. I mean, theologically God is love. And so if we don't emphasize love in our behaviors uh, and the way we think about God, then we're we're misunderstanding who he is. Um, And that's a theological issue. But this is just so practical, so just living out the Christian life. And so Jesus, I just say amen to this, right? Bid all our sad divisions cease. I'll divide. If if you divide from Christ, you divide from me. But if but if you're in Christ, if you're one with Christ, how can I divide from you? Yeah, I don't I don't see that. Make us one. This is meant to be. Um then the final refrain, you know, O come, O come, right? He says, Re- Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Whether it happens now or it's, it's, it's in the final return of Christ, all of those realities that we just sang about or thought about and studied, they're all going to happen in the second coming, ultimately, of Christ. In the ultimate final kingdom of Christ is, is, in, is when it's the f- most full reality of all those things will take place. And it will be love and fellowship and oneness and health and life and every, I mean, then you can start your prosperity preaching. <laughs> then, then you can prosperity preach all you want to, because, uh, because it'll just be the reality is that we will be experiencing the, uh, the fullness of what God intends for us to experience his grace and the riches of it for uh, forever and ever. So if, if you guys uh, have any questions uh, and you stuck around with me through this, this has been kind of maybe an odd live stream. Uh, I'm going to say, go ahead and put your questions. Um, I'll just, I'll just glance over and just try to grab, forgive me if I can't catch it because sometimes they go too quickly and I'm not able to catch them. Um, So I know it can be frustrating for you. I just don't have a better way to do it at the moment. Um, But, uh, but please go ahead and put it in there. There's been a little bit of a different uh, live stream. Usually I'm tackling, I feel like heavier, um, I should say more like I don't know, difficult topics. <laughs> and so, um, it has been nice to just deal with this today. I hope you take this with you and, um, that this song is never the same to you is always just filled with meaning and depth and theology and something you can sing, uh, to the Lord with depth. So, uh, do you have any questions? I'm looking in the comments right now and I don't see them just yet. Now you may have asked a question earlier, but I wouldn't know it. Um, let's see in truth by grace says, uh, Uh, Thanks, Mike and AJ, for all you do. Uh, Tell Mike, my nieces, six and four years old, love his song, We Will Praise. And we sing it loud with Christmas carols swinging on our swings every day. Oh, how cool. How cool. So, yeah, I actually wrote, I've written a few worship songs. And I have them, most of them I have on my YouTube. Well, several of them I have on my YouTube channel, the ones that are recorded. And uh, We Will Praise is one of them. And uh, that's cool. That's a blessing to hear. And any of my worship songs that you guys get a hold of, and if you're a worship leader and you want to use them, you have my permission. You don't need to credit me. I really don't care. Just use it for the glory of God. Um, Yeah. uh, DL Mosaic says, thanks for all you do. Well, it is my great pleasure. And um, thank you. Thanks for being there. I guess you guys, it's just like not a question day today, huh? Hi, Sarah. (laughs) Thanks. I'm glad you like the worship album. That's fantastic. We recorded that back in like 2000 i think it was about 2005 we recorded it's actually really old it just took forever for it to finally get uh finished and put out um josie j asks what theology books i can recommend um i guess that kind of depends um michael i see, michael i see your question i'll come back to it in a second um uh, i recommend gosh I don't have like a one go-to theology book and I haven't settled on one and maybe I should, but I just haven't. So what I, what I like is to recommend this is, and I know this wasn't quite your question, but here's what I've got for you today is read more than one. Um, Stick to theology books that as you flip through the pages, they're using scripture to establish their points. As far as you can tell, they're using that scripture in context and read more than one so that instead you don't just go to the the theology book instead of the Bible to tell you what the Bible means, but rather it's just an aid. It's just, some. It's just think of these guys as commentary on the scriptures. Um, but as far as picking one book, I, I, I'm not, I, I should think that through an answer, but I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry. Um, I was asked uh, by Michael Cato when I'm going to respond to Aaron Ra. Um, that's a tough one and I'll tell you why. Because it wasn't really Aaron Ra that responded to me. Uh, I'll just assume that you guys know uh, uh, I made a video refuting this atheist video, Arn Ra, and then he did a response video, but it wasn't him. It was actually Dr. Josh Bowen responding to me. Well, then Dr. Josh Bowen went on like two other YouTube channels and also responded to me, including his own YouTube channel with multiple videos. And so it ends up being like eight or nine hours of footage. And I'm like, what am I supposed to respond to? So, um, I haven't yet figured all that out, but, but I do plan on, trying to do something at least in response I don't think I can respond to everything he's produced because the guy makes videos a lot of videos about me <laughs> so, so I can't respond to all of it so um but I do plan on doing something I don't know when it's just some of these issues are very much like I have to do a lot of research to really support my points and I haven't had the time to do that so it really just comes down to time um, so hopefully soon I mean I'm trying to but sometimes I get sidetracked <laughs> and what I think I'll do ends up not happening um, Ryan says, uh, Hey, really, Mike, really enjoy your videos and your teaching. It really helped me. Thank you, Ryan. It, it radically blesses me to think that my teaching has helped you. That is the whole point. That is the whole purpose. That's why I'm on YouTube. That's why I produce this stuff. That's why it's all of it's free. It's all accessible and available to you guys free of charge, um, is that it might just minister to you and bless you, help you in some way. That is the whole goal. Um, uh, Linda PB asks if I have a teaching on the second coming and the rapture and the millennium, so that like future eschatological issues. And I don't have any teaching online about those issues. And um, I'm sorry, I don't have that for you. Uh, it's just one of the things I haven't done. Um, Ross Duncan asked what my views are on John MacArthur. I like John MacArthur. I recommend his stuff. I'm not a Calvinist as as he is. Um, he holds fast, in my opinion, to the gospel of Christ and unashamedly proclaims it whenever he gets a chance. And I appreciate his teaching and his and his ministry um yeah now i'm I'm able to enjoy somebody and be blessed and minister to them and learn from them without agreeing with them about everything and I think that that's a good quality to have um, so that you can you can expand the the different voices in your life that can speak you know about scripture to you uh, let's see how do you guys keep up with chatting and listening We don't. <laughs> They don't, (laughs) they just, they just chat and then they, they, they wonder, was that a good live stream? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I know sometimes you guys get lost in the chat, but uh, hopefully that doesn't happen too much. Jonathan Carlson asks if I have a book. I do not have a book. I've never written a book. Uh, Maybe one day in the future, but not at the moment. Um, Let me see when my, when my next podcast might be. Josie J asks when the next podcast is. Actually, we just updated the podcast. And if you guys want my podcast on, I don't know if it's on like Stitcher and pod stuffing and things and pod place dot something or other. I don't, but okay, it's like iTunes. It's like on all the major podcast software things. Uh, but if you just search Bible Thinker, um, you should see it pop up and it'll have that little logo with the silhouette of a head with the Bible in it. And we just updated, actually, just added some new stuff to the podcast. So go and check it out. Um, let's see. yeah sage says uh this is my favorite christmas song it is definitely one of my favorites too and when i look at the depth in the words um yeah it carries that weight with it as well so hey guys um i think it's been fun that i'm gonna i'm gonna call it for uh for today we've got like 162 people and this is good for a friday night when everyone's busy right before christmas when everybody's really busy and when I don't even normally have a live stream, so I'm excited that you guys were able to make it out and be here for it. I hope you have an awesome Christmas. Pray for your families heading into Christmas, for the ones who maybe aren't really walking with the Lord. Pray for those opportunities to share with them um, and for the wisdom, because it's one thing to know what they need to hear, but it's something else to have the wisdom and discernment on how to communicate those things, how to share those things, when to share those things, what to say, what not to even bother with. And uh, may God make you a light uh, in your in your character, in your godliness, in your love, and in the truth that you proclaim with your families. Um, certainly, that's my prayer for myself. And I will see you guys uh, in January. So, Lord bless you. And please, if you think of it, be praying for this ministry. As um, things are uh, are changing this year, I don't know what's going to be happening for the next coming year, but I'm expecting more ministry, of course. I, but there's a lot going on. I'll, I'll, I'll update you guys in January. There's a lot going on in my own life and my own schedule. And I uh, appreciate your prayers because it's all... It's all kind of up in the air at the moment, <laughs> so yeah. So, Lord bless you. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, set your eyes upon Christ. Remember that we we live we live for the kingdom that that will not perish, and we live for those treasures that will never fade. Take care.